2: Hello, adulting well listeners. This is Pepper, aka Joshua, aka Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So, we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show. So, you can see you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it, it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So, for instance, we can have polls. We can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that, and we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just, uh, that's just one example, but there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So, uh This is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, And if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, Thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well podcast. I am your co-host Joshua
1: and I am joined as always by your co-host Kevin. And we have Daryl Lamont Jenkins on the show tonight who, if you do not know who he is, I would highly recommend a lovely introduction via the Netflix documentary, Alt-Right, Age of Rage. It is up now. Um, Daryl's joining us from the East Coast, and it is very late there, so we want to just start off with our appreciation for taking the time to do this. Um, I would consider Daryl the second in our mini-series of modern-day Nazi hunters. Um, <laughs> it is becoming a theme on yes, the show. I we, like that. We just interviewed A.C. Thompson last week, and his show will be up on uh, from ProPublica Pro on on uh, It'll be up Monday. before this one. Yeah. yeah before this airs. So, you know, just, I watched the, the, the documentary and I have to be honest, like you are both an amazingly hardworking person as far as what you're doing for, you know, exposing um, the, the kind of the, they call it the new white power movement. I don't know how new it is, but, um, but also documenting it and, and really, you know, um, a lot of your ethos clearly, as we talked about, because we've had a couple of, You know, text message and phone conversations come from the punk scene, which we are very much a part of and really like talking to people that have grown up in that scene and are doing amazing stuff, which we consider you to tick all those. boxes. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And I appreciate that um, because there's been a lot that has been going on over the past 30 years. I don't know how um, there's some aspects of the white power scene that's new. But uh then again there's some things that have been familiar that uh that we're still dealing with. So I think what's new is that the rest of the society is realizing just how much of a threat they are and wanna do something about it. And that's why documentaries like Age of Rage and um and other ones that I have been involved with have are are important
2: now. So people can understand what it is we've been looking at. That's interesting because it, 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 there is this sense, you know, amongst the people I know of, well, where are all these Nazis coming from? And if you have a punk background, you're like, they they were already here. It's like this is not a new thing to us. Uh, you can probably speak. More yeah, it's been more. kind of like it's.
0: It, this has just been two and a half years of we told you so. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, we have been we have been fighting these knuckleheads for decades. Yeah. Um. In the underground, and now, as um as a director of the movie that I've been working on says, the front y- the backyard is now the front yard of America. It's so, totally true. so now everybody has to basically mow the lawn.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, and talk to me a little bit. I th- I think it's you know the obviously we're really intrigued by you know our guest's connection to the punk scene. Um, and what they have brought from that scene to their current work, but give us a little bit of background. I know you were involved heavily in the in the late eighties, early nineties um through the mid nineties, like documenting certain scenes. Tell us a little bit about that before we get really into the the you know the new kind of what's going on in your life now.
0: Well, it's kind of crazy after I got um and people people have been talking about my military um background, right. but i but i got gotten kicked out. It's not exactly something that I would consider to be the high point of my life. It wasn't an exemplary career. But after I got out, um, one of the things that was really important for me was trying to find a place to belong and trying to find what direction I wanted to go in my life. And I was always the kind of guy that wanted to do something that other people were not doing. Punk scene, mm-hmm. I, it led me right to the punk scene. Let me uh my boy Tori, who I grew up with, was already involved, so he was your already um, in he the was like your ambassador like
2: he was your ambassador into the into the punk world, yeah, more or
0: less because at the time see I was already listening to underground music at the time, but the underground music at the time was the old hip hop of the eighties. Mm-hmm. It wasn't exactly being played on the radio all that much, but your m t v raps happened in nineteen eighty eight and changed all of that, mm-hmm. so I started gravitating away from that, started listening to more your darker metal bands and then Tori just said, you know what? There's a show that's happening. Why don't we go check it out? This was my first punk show. And bear in mind, it was a group called Frozen Grin, The Bouncing Souls, before they were signed, <laughs> um, Loose, and Shades Apart. That huh. was my first gig. Nice. And I just started going to shows after that because what I realized, because I was trying to get into um, other music scenes in the past, other music... um trying to do bands here and there. But I think what was really important about the punk scene was everybody wasn't acting like they wasn't putting on any airs.
2: That's incredible. They were
0: just acting like, hey, we're just chilling out. We just want to play music for better, for worse. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly what I needed. And and I was able to find my niche in the scene Cause everybody was about, you know, what we don't have to wait to get the record deal. We can produce our own records. We don't mm-hmm. have to wait to the big club till we get the arena show. We'll just go. We'll just use the Pizza Hut to have a show. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. We actually had shows in Pizza Hut.
1: Yeah, we, we our last guest was talking about a show in the PO box section of a U.S. post office. So,
0: <laughs> if totally. you
1: had enough room for the drums and the amps, you had yourself. Speak. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Totally, totally. So one of the things that I found amazing, and I've been now I've been like YouTubing your old videos because I'm like obsessed a little bit. I get I get obsessed on things, and I'm you know I'm a, kind of a late night guy. So. Oh, you could fall down a DLJ rabbit hole. <laughs> so you can d- definitely d- do that. DLJ <laughs> used to do a public access television show, and he would interview punk bands. Like, where in the world? how did that happen? First and foremost, and like, how did you get these bands these these unknowing bands to come on your show?
0: It was very easy. Everybody wanted to, you know, everybody wanted to be on TV. Yeah. And here's the thing: we, we was all friends. We was all in the scenes, right. uh, in the scene, doing our thing. And everybody had. Remember, this is the '90s. People had their fanzines out. People had their own record labels out. People had their own clubs. We didn't have a TV show, <laughs> right? right? And we, I was looking around going, you know, that's the one thing that we haven't tried, public access. You know, before YouTube, everybody gravitated towards public access yeah. to um, show themselves off. And I was like, you know
1: what? This is an untapped resource. Kevin, Let me tap it. Why didn't we think of that? I have no idea. I'm so bummed. I'm right so ju- I am so. can't <laughs> believe we didn't think of that. Not <laughs> only that, but they, didn't you guys call it Channel X?
0: Yeah, the show. I mean, it was just out of the blue. It was uh, it was just me putting it together. It, the first show I had two shows. The first one was Channel X, and basically, it was about um, basically, it was either bands that were either unsigned or didn't have a major record deal. Right. And here's here's my little claim to fame. I was the first person. I was the I was the first one to put the bouncing souls on television. Oh. Via this show back in, I think it was like ninety two, ninety three. No, it was ninety three. It was ninety three, and um, they weren't signed yet. They were still um, doing their thing in New Jersey, particularly in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where the scene was. Right. And um, I just, I just put them on the local cable channels, and that's my, that's my mark in history, <laughs> at least rock and roll history, so to speak. Yeah. Um. But okay. there was a lot. There, there was a lot of bands, not just necessarily punk bands, but you had your industrial bands, and, um, some hip hop bands here and there, some particularly outrageous bands. But 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 it was a good it was a good show. I had it for like three years, moved out to Cleveland, came back and started another show called The Life We Lead, and I had that hosted by my friend Pedro Angel Serrano. And he and we interview bands like the business, the balancing souls once again. Um bands like uh Vision we um we blew up on the show. Um it it was a it was a good time and but then One People's Project started and I just went twenty four seven on that and let everything else lapse. Um Life We Lead ended up going to um Boston. People picked it up in Boston and ran right. it for a couple of more years yeah, before they that. stopped. But
1: that was my life. Right. And so talk a little bit, I mean, so stuff happens usually for people you know, either earlier in life and, and sounds like part of the stuff that may have happened for you was the your military time. But, you know, there's not it's not like a mistake that people get introduced to and are drawn to the punk scene, especially at that time. Like, what mm-hmm. was what was growing up in New Jersey like for you? Like, how, like,
0: well, you're talking about, you know, I am I've always considered myself to be one of the lucky ones. I mean, right. I was a black man who didn't have a criminal record um, didn't really want for anything because, um, we live very middle class. We, li- I lived in black suburbia. I lived in a part of, um, you know, a lot of people who grew up in, um, the inner city like Newark or New York city's inner city or whatever. Um, when they was able to get away from the drama that was happening in the, in the inner city, they moved down here to New Brunswick or Somerset, New Jersey, where I'm from and, and raised their family. So I lived very nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I grew up and spent my life, um, spent much of my days just reading the encyclopedia. That was my hobby. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So, so it was kinda like I was a straight up bookworm. Kids used to call me the professor back in the day. And uh and, and that's how I grew up. I grew up not really wanting for anything. And then and basically my biggest um bit of drama was boredom.
2: How does that how does that shift into someone that has like you obviously have a passion for uh fighting for people that can't fight for themselves? Uh how How did you shift from music into the kind of social service that you do now?
0: Well, I always um connected music to social service and one of the reasons why I liked the number of um what was, what the kind of music I would gravitate towards. I've even said this in an interview a while back. I gravitated towards the kind of music that spoke. Huh. I mean, I, I was into, I was into some of those like love ballads and, you know, and all those um just straightforward dance and rock and roll stuff, mostly R&B, and mm-hmm. uh, b of the eighties and things like that. And the, and the early hip hop, as I said before, but I needed music that actually, said something, I always, I was into it for the grit. I was into that gritty, serious, um, impacting kind of music. Like I would listen to Stevie Wonder or 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 Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Or, to be real, my father's records. Now, my father was a jazz man, but... The jazz that he listened to primarily was the jazz from the 60s. Mm -hmm. And the 60s jazz was very different from the jazz of the 40s and 50s. It was just raw. So that's the kind of thing that I grew up with. I mean, so I always grew up with music having to be serious, Mm -hmm. having to um, give you a lot more than just a dance step. So, um, so, you know, naturally I wanted to be a part of that because I would study history and see a lot of things that were done in the past and wondered how I can contribute to that. So my love for music plus my love for contributing to history, so to speak, um, combined, And that's how I ended up doing the various things that I've done in my life, whether you're talking about the TV shows um, in the 90s or the activism in the 2000s. That's fascinating. It was all about just being a part of this society and making sure, as I used to say, I didn't want to be heard. I wanted to be felt.
2: You don't want to see history repeat itself. You want to see what you can do about it. That's a very interesting perspective to me. You're not like, I don't need a time machine to go back and kill Hitler. I can do what I can right now to prevent Hitler from happening now.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think one of the things that I've always, um, that I always say about, um, the, the scene that I came out of is like our basic life, our life was based around one question. What would happen if I did this? (laughs) And, and we learned through trial and error what we can and cannot do. And, you know, it's all about asking the right questions. It's all about asking questions, period. And the thing is, if you don't get an answer, then the next question is, well, what can I do?
1: Hmm. Sure. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I have a I have a long history of activism activism. Associated with the punk scene. I mean, both both of the bigger band, tour bands that toured and did put out records that I was in were what people would consider political bands. I mean, we talked about animal rights, about you know equality. Uh, you know, we worked with groups like ACT UP back in the day um, during the AIDS crisis. We, you know, there was a lot going on in, especially in Northern California at that time. But there was this pervasive sort of neo-Nazi. Uh, undertone as well, starting with you know shows at places like the farm and the mab in San Francisco, but also in our s- local scene up in Sonoma county, I mean these guys would just show up and bully everybody <laughs> until we got big enough to kick their asses quite honestly and it, 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 <laughs> it you know i this is one of the things that comes up a lot i mean I truly believe that music and and um art should be a catalyst for change. I think it should be a platform for people to speak their their truths, uh, whatever they may be, and maybe they don't agree with me all the time. But, you know, I hear a lot of people, um, you know, complaining that artists are, you know people in hollywood or whoever should you know shut up and do their job but you know i mean it's like what I, i'm a i'm i own a, a merchandise company so but i like because i'm in san francisco and we hire people that need a second chance here my work is inherently political should i just shut up and do my job well my job is hiring people that are out of prison <laughs> you know like so yeah. I, you know it's like it's like where does that you know where does that idea come from that that somehow art should be not you know, not a, uh, you know, a, a form of rebellion. I mean, you know, and we can we can draw back to to ancestors in, in all different cultures that used it as as a form of rebellion.
0: Well, it comes from either a cowardice or a resentment. Of people who are trying to change things. I mean, we get that all the time. Sure. I mean, they want the musicians to shut up. They want the entertainers to shut up. Or in the case of Colin Kaepernick these days, the athletes to shut up. Um, mm-hmm. You try to tell the Nazis to shut up. All of a sudden, they have freedom of speech. <laughs> right.
2: Well,
1: that's the interesting people too. Who is like... actually
0: do want to take your rights have freedom of speech that we must defend. Everyone else can go to hell.
1: Yeah. Well, now, and I I think that leads into an interesting you know, sort of subject that I wanted to talk about because a lot of times when you get interviewed, whether it's on, you know, Maddow or, you know, on the radio, um, you know, people always want to put the byline there that, you know, Antifa leader, you know, and like associate you specifically with, you know, because of the lack of understanding, especially in in mainstream media, that they've sort of labeled people that are... um, uh, anti-fascist as like a specific, there's like one group there's, there's now because of the age of like the 24 hour news cycle and the lack of uh, any attention span, you know, everybody is grouped into this one group. And one of the things that I have gotten into kind of bigger arguments about, um, especially online, which we talk about and I'm a little, I get a little embarrassed cause I get really upset, but, um, you know, because you can't fight trolls. I mean, there's no winning. Is this idea, this false equivalency thing and people saying, well, you know, these guys are violent too. And, you know, but I always say, well, self-defense is not actually, it's not, you're not perpetrating violence.
2: Daryl put it great in the documentary. He said, they picked a fight, let's fight.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, just (laughs) talk to me a little bit about your view on it, because my understanding just in, in reading and watching your interviews and I'm a, you know, I like to sort of absorb everything about our guests is that, like, that's a last resort for you. And just talk about that a little bit. You
0: know? Well, it's funny about that, because um, per the documentary, there was a, a larger point I was trying to expand on whenever um, I had said that, but it didn't come out the right way. Um, basically, when you think about how things blew up, when Trump first started and all the fights started happening at their rallies, it was after, It was for like six months, the Trump supporters were attacking mm-hmm. um, people who were protesting the rally mm-hmm. with Trump cheering them on. We all know that. Yep. It wasn't until March of 2016 in Chicago that people said, you know what? We're going to start swinging back. Right. And, That was all of a sudden, because we allow, and let's be real, we do do this, because we allow the right to flip a script and gaslight everybody Mm -hmm. all the time, all the other things that had happened six months prior it was just totally forgotten, including the two brothers that beat up a homeless guy in Boston in the name of Trump.
2: Right um can we talk about antifa for a second (laughs) only because it's funny because to me you know when i would read about antifa i was like oh that's not real those are just those are just a bunch of punks protesting and then mm -hmm. kevin my co-host here was the first person i ever heard like say oh antifa as a group seriously and i thought to me it just looked like when you know when the gulf war happened and we were protesting in portland like it, it right. didn't look any different than that to me. And I thought that it was so funny that the right thought there was this organized group, but now, you know, I've watched the documentary and I've talked to you, Kevin, we fell out to guests on, and I think I was wrong. It there really is a, oh, yeah. an organized group. Well, th- th- there's
0: some organization,
2: but I would tell you, it's more,
0: um, anti-fascism is an ideology. Yeah. yeah. Really. Yeah. Okay. And I, and, and in, um, and in public appearances, I make the point, um, and I said this actually in another documentary that if you hate fascism, you're antifa. Yeah. Plain and simple, I even say that Martin Luther King was antifa. <laughs> so it's kind of like right it all how antifa um, approaches the situation is going to be based on how that individual anti-fascist approaches the situation. Um, there's a lot of anti-fascists out there who you will never see in the streets. I mean, they're simply studying and learning and trying to figure out ways to cut down the fascism that they see trying to grow in today's society. And they will never wear black. They will they will never be in the streets and they will n- never throw a punch, but they will have a hell of an impact in some other way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think <laughs> that. What we are dealing with when it comes to what is antifa, um, as far as the mainstream has gone over the past couple of months, is just as so simple as I mentioned before: um, gaslighting. That's coming from people who do not like anti-fascists because we're effective against them.
2: Okay. Um, it sounds like the answer I to think, to what is antifa is who gives a shit? There's Nazis. <laughs> Let's go deal with them. Exactly. And that's bringing me to the other point: we are not
0: the bad guys. <laughs> they are no one likes a nazi no one likes a fascist somebody's gonna fight them somebody's gonna keep them from growing they're not and they are the ones that we gotta support they're they're the ones whose freedom of speech we have to protect right
2: right Mm -hmm. it's like it's like uh windows being broken by activists is this little tiny problem that america has right but but there's bigger problems like you know there's potholes for instance and then there's and then above that there's nazis
1: (laughs) it's not like an even so so one one of the things that's really hard to explain to people and and this is because you see these like complete and total chaotic like you know confrontations where People are throwing things at each other and there's, you know, there's tear gas going on. And I know you got tear gas. This. There's nothing nice about being tear gassed ever. It fucking hurts. No, no.
0: So no, not at all. That was that was lousy. That yeah, day.
1: That's a terrible <laughs> experience. There's no good way to get tear gassed. I don't care. It's a, it's terrible. But, um, you know, and so people sort of take this is the representation of an entire Uh, ideology. And the fact of the matter is there's a lot of people that just show up for chaos. And there's a lot of anarchists involved. Um, The Black Bloc isn't something new to this new movement. I mean, I was doing animal rights protests in the late 80s and early 90s, and the Black Bloc would show up and lead people in another direction. All of a sudden, there'd be property damage going on, you know. So they're not always involved with the specific group that's there for a specific reason. Are they on the side of anti-fascism? Absolutely. But are they necessarily part of a more organized protest? No, their entire point is that they're anarchists, you know. And right. so I, I think it's you know it's really hard to draw that nuance. It's there's not so much nuance on if you're a racist and you want to destroy other races and put them in their own you know country, whatever it is. I don't. I mean, I don't even the, the insanity of the, all the ideas on the on the. The, the ideas never happen. It's just no. the rhetoric gets people yeah. killed. That's so, and that's the problem. Exactly. And, and so there's there's not a lot of nuance there. Basically, if you are a supporter of white separatism, white nationalism, you know, straight up racism, whatever you want to call it, and the new candy coated term, the alt right, and you know, we'll talk about you know Richard Spencer and your interactions with him in a minute, but you're basically there's you don't have to nuance that shit. It's you're you're you're, you want to fucking kill other people because of the color of their skin. It's very simple. We understand. We get it. Now get the fuck out of our community. You know exactly. And that's
0: all that's happening. I mean, and you don't even have to say you want to kill people. You could just be your mainstream and culture type that (laughs) wants to um, promote them on the sly, and you're still going to be called out. Yeah, because you are a part of this, whether you're not saying so. If you want to play the "I'm not a racist" routine, BS, you are, and you're just trying to avoid getting into too much trouble. Yep. And 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 I think that's one of the things that we are going to have to do if we're going to get um, past all the stuff that's going on in this political climate is that we have to ignore the gaslighting, mm-hmm, and that's right. one of the reasons why you know the right hates antifa because gaslighting don't work on us, and once you do that, then, then everything that they are doing in this day and age becomes ineffective immediately. That's why they hate Antifa. That's why they hated Black Lives Matter. That's especially why they hated Occupy. Because those groups, those, or, those movements ignored them, ignored all their whining, and continued to just push forward regardless of how they felt about it.
1: Yeah, that's. A, I think, that's and we really were effective. Point. Well, because
0: and, and, of Black Lives Matter, because of Black Lives Matter, you start seeing cops going to jail. Because mm-hmm. of Occupy, we now have a very robust fight for fifteen. You know, yeah. And now, because of Antifa, we see a lot of uh, neo Nazis within government. Mm-hmm. Getting yep. called out, Steve mm-hmm. King, for example, that took a long while. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, going after it's Steve unbelievable King. that he's actually still in office and has been. Um...
0: He won't be in two years. He won't no. be next year. No, he won't. That's it. It's over. He's, finally,
1: he, he's done.
2: But... What are, are these guys like? My daddy didn't go to Germany and fight Nazis, so you could fight Nazis. I, you know <laughs> I, who <laughs> Dude, knows, <is> man. That... <laughs> I,
1: you know I like, I whatever. I mean, they're, let they're, me
2: tell you something.
0: Let me tell you something. The guy who started the modern day white supremacist um, movement was Willis Carto, and he fought in World War Two. It's crazy. OK, so
1: it doesn't make any sense.
2: It's crazy.
0: And he's buried in Arlington.
1: Oh, mm. well, you know, goes to show that the uh, the racist roots of this country run very deep, <laughs> you know, and. Um, so so what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> we can lighten this up a little bit. I you know, one thing I do, I definitely want to get into talking a little bit about um about uh, your interactions with uh with you know, with Richard Spencer because he's been such a <sighs> he's been such a uh he's been in the spotlight obviously. Um you know, and he's he's like the the slick well-educated version of you know, your everyday like you know low intellect racist um but he he definitely has done uh he's 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 you know he's been a, a a pretty you know like you know he's been a pretty obvious kind of target
2: ever since he's been punched he's got that look of fear in his eyes you know well, he just always looks a little scared
0: since, yeah i mean Everybody started knowing who Richard Spencer was um, with the Hailgate, what he calls Hailgate, the whole thing in November of 2016 during his conference. But you were were chasing
1: him down for years before that, right? Yeah,
0: I was going after him in 2006. That's when we started going after him. And it was kind of like, it it really wasn't him. We just, we were chasing after other neo-Nazis in the beltway within D.C. Right. Because, um, in Washington, D.C., the the neo-Nazis that we were going after, the white supremacists that we were going after, um, had places in government, had positions in either government or academia. You're talking about the, uh, the folks who surrounded Pat Buchanan. I mean, Pat Buchanan is the well from which much of what they call the alt-right has sprung. I would agree. Including Richard Spencer, who used to work for him. Yep. You know, and we were— we were going after one particular group, and it turned out to be a group that Spencer had had started. And then from there, there was other groups, and he was raising money for Ron Paul. I'm talking millions for Ron Paul. Um, he was rubbing elbows with a lot of your more mainstream conservatives in D.C., and he was, he was an up-and-comer. Mm-hmm. And then we started talking about him. And took all of that away from him. As I said in the documentary, he was on his way to becoming a Senator Spencer, a Congressman Spencer. Mm -hmm. Um, What I didn't say in the documentary, but I say a lot now, is that we got to Richard Spencer and was able to cut him down. But we did not notice his friend Stephen Miller. Mm. Interesting. Mm
1: -hmm. And Stephen Miller's in the White House. Yes, he is. uh, Advising Trump. So, you know, you've confronted him and others kind of many others in person repeatedly, yeah. <laughs> but I got to ask and you know, this is the same thing I talked to AC about last week is is how do you wash that energy off yourself when you get home because it is it's fucking ugly, man. It, <laughs> right? Well, I think with me, you keep I just keep it in the
0: forefront of the mind that they don't have this. Right, mm. that the biggest fear that they have is someone getting in their face, and that's exactly what I'm doing. I just keep my cool, don't get ticked off because I just I just cause them all kinds of grief. I I, I take the piss out of them as much as I can while I'm um, as you see in the video, me going back and forth with them, and that's and and that whole day I was messing with a. Bunch of them. That was at the that was at the Republican Convention in 2016, right. mm-hmm. and I was just spending the whole time on public square just chasing every neo-Nazi I found around, and uh, it it was, I was just like a kid in a playground, more or less. That's a great <laughs> yeah. attitude. The thing yeah, that annoyed I... me, the thing that annoyed me is that it was one of the f- it was one of the few times that I saw so few people. On our side, coming out the protest, hmm. and I was wondering why was there like only like five hundred of us out there that whole week, as opposed to Philly a couple of um, weeks later where there was like five thousand.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. What scared us away?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, that was the. If anything, that was the most frustrating thing about the whole whole. Um, The whole week, and uh, I was
1: I was in New York during the Republican Republican convention that when they had it there. I was organizing that in two thousand four. Fucking nuts, man! I mean, there was so many people out there protesting. So I mean, it was crazy, and I saw people from out here. Like I was out there on business, and I'm like, "Good timing, let's go!" You know. So I went out to a bunch of the protests marched ran around got chased you know all the all the fun stuff <laughs> that happens when when you speak truth to power and uh but i saw people i knew from out here like hanging out we talked about ben sari earlier he was there you know I, it was it was so many people where were they last year yeah And it was just it was just so weird that Cleveland has so few people.
0: I think that when you had a whole bunch of people saying that they were going to open carry, which they did, Mm -hmm. Um, when you had so many people saying they were going to do that, I think that might have kept people away. But I don't think they're going to do that next time. Right. Mm -hmm. Not next time. Next time we're talking, um, I believe the Democratic Convention is going to be in Milwaukee. Yep. And I heard that the Republican Convention is Miami. (laughs) <laughs> so, so we're gonna be so you know, people coming out.
1: What do you think uh as far as the security they're gonna be doing with with you know Trump seeking reelection?
0: It's gonna be the typical stuff. It's gonna be it, nothing's gonna change. I mean, they're gonna keep us away from the stadium and all that. Right. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting since um, it's um stakes are high. Stakes are higher. Right. Because they do not want him to have a second term. It's bad enough that he is um, right now. The trajectory is that he's even going to be around to, to be nominated. Um, we thought that we was going to be able to get rid of him before um before uh, the next election started taking um the next campaign started getting mm-hmm. into gear. Well, he started campaigning um, We the probably after still he can White House. Yeah. but. Do you, but I'm worried about 2016, 2020. I mean, what would
2: you say to people that are are just losing hope? That are just so frustrated and just seeing, you know, more terrible things every day. They see them on the news. They they've been to the protests and nothing's changing. What would you say to those people? We got this. We still got. This. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, th- th- that's the that's the slogan. I mean, look, the fact that they have to. After Charlottesville, we had him on the run. Mm, mm-hmm. The moment the moment you start really causing America to panic, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's only a matter of time before we. Correct ourselves to the point that we can do something about this, but we will do something about this. That's why the midterms happened the way they did. Mm -hmm. That's why you see the demographics of your elected officials shift dramatically over the past two years. Um, people, and once we get a, once we get full control back, once we're able to just um, take all of this away from all the bad people, we're gonna salt the earth so that they never come back oh again. Gosh, that's
2: great to hear, man! Can we can you was, and I start a podcast where people call in with their problems and you, ju- and you just say, <laughs> we, "We got, got this."
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> it made me feel well, we so got good. This, by <laughs> <don't we>? Yeah. <laughs> So you know, I, I think that there's a, a really really strong connection, and I'm I'm glad to get a laugh too because this just, I think yeah. about this stuff all the time. And it's,
0: you, you got, know. I mean, you, you got to keep your you got to keep your head up. I mean, well, it's, it's just all about they have to remember that they're not on this planet by themselves, right? And mm-hmm. we're the ones that remind them. Yep. We're the ones that make sure because everything they do. Is something no one asked them to do.
2: Right, right. Right.
1: And true.
0: this is ours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got we just simply have to
1: we just simply have
0: to take America
1: back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean your 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 level of positivity, even in the documentary dealing with these guys, is just I gotta say, man, it is really, really mind blowing and admirable. And I think it speaks to something that I would like to see more of in the world. And that's like, you know, you can argue with people, do it with a smile on your face and let them know you know you're right. You know, it's like when you're right, you're right. You're right about this. You're on the right side of history with this. There's no doubt about it. And I think the other thing is, is like what I was when I was watching you in these interactions with some of these guys and they were getting so personal with you and just like, they didn't have any arguments. They'd go to these like weird personal attacks that had nothing to do with anything you were saying to them. Cause they're scared. It's like it's like confronting the bully, right? What are they going to do when you actually kick their ass the first time? They get scared and they say some crazy stuff. Yeah,
0: it's so funny. I get called fat more than I get
2: called black. (laughs) Jesus,
0: fat is their N word to me.
2: They're not. They're they're never funny. Like they're never funny. Like the right is never Never. funny. Like they're they're coming. Their best comics or their worst comics. They're just not funny.
0: They're not.
2: That's yeah, why they I mean, get. I
0: always, tell, I always tell them, look, yeah, I'm, I, I'm fat, but this is three hundred fifty
1: pounds of fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I think that's why they get so mad at Hollywood because they like their stars are like Ted Nugent. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's, it's, if that's all you awful, got. Yeah. You're gonna be pissed, man.
2: I, know. I always like wonder about those hey, guys. Hey, hey.
1: They got Tom Selleck.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, I mean, he has a TV show.
2: He does. <laughs> they have that one Baldwin guy, the one Baldwin brother, the one Baldwin. Yeah. The anti-ballot. Yeah, um, (laughs) I know it's hard to think of people, right? I hear Bo Derek is a little right
0: wing. I mean, you know, she's cute.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But that's the thing is that who they do have is is these really powerful white dudes in power. Yeah, you know, so it's yeah, yeah, good point. I remember there was a bumper sticker that was out
0: years ago. It says, "Yeah, the media is as liberal as the corp as the conservatives that run
1: it." Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To liberal media. To fuck this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what, uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to Josh. What do you, what do you do for fun? What's your, what's your sort of, what's your getaway from this? Like, what do you do?
0: I mean, I'm older now, so I don't go to a lot of shows yeah. anymore. I mean, the last show I went to that I really enjoyed was, um, Dave Franklin from the band Vision had passed away, uh, yeah. last year or two years ago. Um, no, it was last year. And there was a huge show in tribute for, tribute to him, And there was just like a whole bunch of bands. And it was like people um, from back in the day, we was just reconnecting. And I realized that the old skinheads that I used to roll with back in the day decided to just grow all of their hair out, including yeah. their <laughs> facial hair, and you didn't recognize them anymore. Um, it was just like, it was like there was... Um, and and it was a real good show. But for the most part, now is, you know, I I'm all about Game of Thrones and Doctor Who. Oh yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Me too, man. So <laughs>
0: and, and and superhero and superhero movies like yeah. you would not believe because I've waited thirty years to see how they would do this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> with all the with all the special effects and the Yeah. I am a fan of CGI. Yeah, me too. I love all the new <laughs> Marvel stuff. I love the stuff on Netflix. Even I'm, I'm super into it. I'm, I, I like. I watched well, I, all the Punisher stuff. The new, I, I marathon watched the Punisher stuff, and, and it's one show oh, my yeah, wife my, isn't uh, that into, so I, I had to do it late at night. All right. Well, it's weird because now i have
0: it cuz it's funny because i have um through the movies i have like all these crazy connections to all the marvel stuff and awesome. and to some degree dc stuff because um Netflix. one of the people who produced the um m- movie is actually in the first season of the punisher uh, Mike Coulter, Luke Cage, is playing me in said movie. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Bell, who was the thing in the fan, in the last Fantastic Four movie, is in this movie.
2: <laughs> so Fantastic. awesome. Hey, I've got a little experiment I'd like to try. What's that? Since we've got, I've got both of you here. Yes. All okay. uh, cool. right. I wore blackface in high school. Oh. And I haven't talked about it, but obviously it's been in the news a lot. And I'd like to talk about it.
1: Okay, we we'll go for it. Um, so, g- give us some circumstances here.
2: Well, before I give circumstances, I just want to say that the more I think about it and I try to like reason it and go, "Here's why," and "Here's what I was doing," the more I come back to what I did was racist. So I was racist. Hmm. You know. So it was a. It was my friend and I. <clears throat> leave him out of this, but we were. Crisscross for Halloween. And we dressed up as rappers and we had blackface and we went to high school. Uh, It did not go well. Yeah, Uh, I would imagine. um, I I didn't understand what it meant. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, uh, and I was, I was, I was, I had role models that I didn't understand exactly what it meant that they were skinheads and Nazis. Uh, It was largely something I did to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um and it was super racist. That's all that's all about it is that that's all I can say is it's super racist and if there's anything I can do, you know, or anything I should do, I would like to.
0: Well, I'm going to well, let here's the I, thing. I'm going to let here's the thing. Yeah. You got called out right then and there, didn't you?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there's the difference. Uh, what we're talking about in um with the governor of Virginia and the attorney general of Virginia and incidentally the um, state senator in That's Virginia right. that yeah. published a yearbook that had blackface in it. None of them were called out. Mm-hmm. Everybody acted as though it was no big deal. You did not get that treatment.
2: No, man. Like every every <laughs> black kid in school surrounded me, and it was uh, they were like, "You're washing that shit <laughs> off your face right now," and I said, "Yes, I am." <laughs> Immediately, <laughs> it was not it was not fun, but it happened. You know, yeah, and so. I and I will tell you. I
0: also tell you this: so long as you know better and try to do better, and you've already paid your um debt to that nonsense, I'm good. There are just too many. There are just too many out there that never really, um. Got the treatment. Got I um, Got told.
2: Yeah, well, that's how I kind of look that, at it too. Is is if when I talk to someone or I find out things about people, I'm looking for growth. You know, I'm looking for ownership. I'm looking for that kind of stuff. It's
0: kind of like, and this is one of the reasons why Liam Neeson is
2: in trouble. Incidentally,
0: right? He would not have had any problems if it did if um his talk about how he wa- he was looking for a black mm-hmm. person to beat up after his friend got attacked mm-hmm. he wouldn't have had no problems with it if it wasn't in the context of promoting a movie that was about revenge mm-hmm. yeah if he if if he wasn't so cavalier about that particular um bit of information, he wouldn't be in trouble right now, yeah that's. And, and that's the thing. I mean, you're supposed to learn. You're supposed to recognize these things as being mistakes, number one, and then try to correct them. I mean, I am confident that Liam Neeson isn't a racist. I am confident that even Ralph Northam probably grew up, even though he's been saying some rather ignorant things mm-hmm. in his defense.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um. But by the same token everybody should have known better.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Everybody should have known that this was going to happen. And, you know, I don't think you had the same drama that, I don't think you deserve the same drama that um, the politician and the Hollywood celebrity is getting today.
1: Well, I I don't even know in terms of the politicians. I I mean, they're just making matters worse at this point. Because there's been little or no accountability, little or no. Well, there's been a little bit of accountability because everyone's letting him have it. But there's been no responsibility taken like the, They haven't even fully said like, you know, I, and I'm looking at Joshua right now and I can tell he's you know, he's nervous about even talking about this. He's waiting. He's, he's trying to see if I'm going to go nuts.
0: You you you're not the same person that they
2: are. Right, I thought Kevin, you can't like attack me for <laughs> recording
1: an episode. So, <laughs> um, yeah, what's going on next? Where, where? I know you got, you've always got stuff going on. So, give us a couple. Let's do a couple promos really quick because we're we're running short on time. We only, you know, well, okay. On
0: the positive, on the positive note. Yep. Um. There's all. You know, I have uh the um. Well everybody knows about the documentary All Right Age of Rage. There's also um a we're looking to see whether or not a short film that I have been a part of um called Skin that I helped produce um we're going to see whether or not it gets an Academy Award. Okay. <laughs> and um, that's
1: also on it Netflix. It was
0: nominated. We'll find out on February 24th. Oh no, you were, not it, was, it, gets Academy. it was nominated.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic! So yeah, it's it's, on, it's also it's on it's Netflix. It's actually
0: been nominated. It's right. actually been nominated, and it's going to be um in the short film live action category. We will not see it on television. We found out today. Um, oh right! But but it'll be if we get if we win it, I'll be a Academy Academy a nominated Academy Award winning anti fascist. So <laughs> I, 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 I Imagine like
1: that.
2: that. So, if we did episode so titles, then, I would title this episode Academy Award-winning Anti-Fascist mm-hmm. for sure.
0: Yes, I'm definitely going to start putting that on, on my business class. <laughs> oh,
2: my God. oh, man, that I, sounds great. There's We're...
0: also, there's also um, the major film um, that's also called Skin. Now, that is based on a documentary um, from a few years back, called Erasing Hate. It was a neo-Nazi that was trying to get out of the uh, get out of the hate scene, and um, and I was one of the people that was responsible for um, getting him out. Like nice. I said before, Jamie Bell is um, is playing Brian Brian Widener. Um, um, Danielle McDonald is also in the movie. Vera Farmiga is in the movie. Bill Camp and Mike Coulter is playing me. Uh, and it's produced. I mean, it's directed by um, Guy Native, an Israeli director. This is his first motion picture in the country. Do we have a release date? US. A release date for that one? Um, all I know is this is probably going to be sometime in the summer. All
2: right. Fantastic. As of
0: right now, amazing. It already it already debuted in t- at the Toronto Film Festival, and a lot of people are digging it. And actually, it's. It is being shown right now at the Berlin Film Festival right this right this minute. So people are definitely getting into it. So there's going to be a lot of things going on, going on. Of course, you got your on the on the negative side. We have a whole bunch of neo-Nazi nonsense going on. We got the conference. We got the American Renaissance Conference happening in um, on May 17th in the Nashville area so people are going to be i um, trying to counter that. Is there somewhere and, people can uh, go
2: to find information about that if they want to go help out? Yes, you can. Yeah,
0: um we do have a little bit of information about um a lot of things coming up on um on our website idavox.com. Um that's our newsline. Just look at our sidebar. And we have we have a little bit of information there and um of course there is also onepeoplesproject.com. Ever since the uh documentary hit Netflix, um, people have been just being, coming towards us going, what can we do? How can we be a part of this? And Amazing. that's exactly what we have been trying to get, um, people to do, um, ever since we released, ever since the, uh, documentary came out really in March of last year. Um, but it hit, but it hit Netflix in February. So, I mean, uh, two week, a week or so ago. So now everybody's just like, how can we, um, get in on this oh it's fantastic <laughs>
2: everyone should watch it Kevin and I both saw it uh, we were talking about it earlier it's 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 a great thing it wasn't what I ex- was expecting and it was uh, it was it was awesome
1: I uh, was really glad there wasn't a both sides me too
2: <laughs> <laughs> argument no, going on
1: there as a
0: matter of as a matter of fact here's the thing that um that people should bear in mind because I know I had some arguments with some folks about uh, small arguments about platforming Richard Spencer Spencer is an egotistical bastard and he is not talking about this documentary.
2: <laughs> no, he's <it's> not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When yeah, I saw it, I thought, oh, give great. Me the first clue that we did. Go ahead. I mean, the only,
0: the only people that are seeing negative things about this documentary are the fascists, are the Nazis. They're the ones that are calling it commie Jew propaganda. And, yeah. And trying to do everything they can to make sure people never watch it while at the same time putting it on YouTube, so
2: <laughs> yep, that's fantastic. Yeah. um thank you so much for coming on. everyone else is oh, go ahead.
0: no, I said everyone else is everyone else is enjoying the uh documentary and getting a lot out of it. um one of my um people said they're gonna use it as a study aid, oh yeah, that's exactly what I've been looking for people to do,
1: yep. As it should be. And, uh, you know, people, whether they agree with what they think the narrative is on the anti-fascist movement or not, if you don't like Mm -hmm. racists, if you don't want them invading your communities uh, and doing so in ways that are extremely uh, underground, um, because they're going to hide again, that's what they're going to be doing Now, now, now that they're getting so much press from people like you and thank you. Watch the documentary. Educate yourself. Understand that it's a much more nuanced uh, view of what's going on in the anti-fascist movement. And understand that we're not all here to punch Nazis in the face. You know, that is absolutely the last resort. We want to punch them in the face with exposing them, you know. Mm -hmm. And you're doing such great work with this. I, I just cannot express enough how grateful I am that there are people like you in the world that are taking this you know, and running with it. I mean, this is, this is a serious, this is serious work. This is no joke. You get your life threatened probably regularly and mm. they probably attempt to intimidate you. And, you know, I, I just am very grateful for your positivity around all this too. I, I just think it's truly and, and remarkable. But,
0: but one thing I would definitely have to say, um, remember that it's not just me out there. Oh, I know. There's a whole bunch of people that I work with directly and some folks that I don't even know that have been spending the past, um, not just the past two and a half years but the past 20 years I mean when you talk about anti-racist action 30 years Yeah, it's just spending all this time trying to um, alert people to this kind of threat and failing that fighting that threat um, so I want to give props to every anti-fascist that's been out there over the past 30 years like I mean especially those that we've lost in the course of all of this like um, um. Dan and Spit out of Las Vegas back in 99 who were killed by neo-Nazis. So, you know, there is um I was supposed to tell people to look up the um the story of Dan and Spit and and see what kind of things that we have had to endure over the past 30 years to see what kind of fight it is we um we're out there dealing with. Um, so I just don't want to put it on me. I mean, I'd like to, i want to make sure that everybody that has been doing this all this time are also getting the props. So,
1: yep. Well, and that's, that is, um, the, the, that, the being humble and sharing the, the, you know, the, the accolades with your, your, your fellows on this journey is what it's all about. And, you know, I just really, like I said, I appreciate the work you're doing, and that you're drawing people into this in a way that's meaningful, and doing it with such a positive, you know, uh, positive attitude. I mean, you, you thank just, you. It's just, you know, thank you, and absolutely. You're, you're, you're you know, you, you're, you and and the people doing this on the ground are, are, are what it's all about, and you know, so. Thanks for hopefully coming we on. won't have to do it much longer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: hopefully we can get you on again uh, next year or sometime and do this
0: again. Yeah,
1: don't forget about us when you get famous.
2: Oh, <laughs>
1: right. oh no, 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 that ain't happening. <laughs> All
0: right, You're thanks. the only ones that let me talk about the punk scene.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, everyone, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.